Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wealth Tech Show. This week, we're looking at how technology is enabling us to offer services that are more personalized than ever before. This trend, known as hyper-personalization, coincides with technology that's allowing us to deliver these services at scale. It's an exciting prospect when you think about it. We can offer better services than ever before, and we can deliver them to more people than ever before. Whoever you are and whatever your needs, you can be tailored to in an efficient way. So this week on The Wealth Tech Show, I'm joined by Ramzi Al-Dabar, who works in corporate development at Algebra, which is attempting to make global finance more sustainable and accessible. We're going to talk about creating solutions for the underserved and the underbanked, and solutions that are more than just one size fits all. So firstly, Ramsey, welcome to The Wealth Tech Show. How are you doing today? Thank you very much for having me and doing very well. Oh, it's good to have you. It's really good to have you here. So we were connected by uh, Sean Milley, of course, who were featured on a previous podcast, and, I, and I'm keen to pick up on some of the things that she raised in our email conversation uh, prior to us being introduced. So for a starter, we're going to need uh, an explanation of what algebra is. And I don't mean literally algebra, it's the name of your company. It's a classic fintech, and it's spelled A-L-G-B-R-A. Nothing spelled correctly in fintech, <laughs> is it? Exactly. I think that's just a rule, isn't it? Um, look, I, I've seen you described as a sustainable and values-focused digital fintech platform. That's nice, but it doesn't really get into what you do, does it? So, so Ramsey, what are you doing? And also, when does it launch? Because I realize it's not quite out yet. Sure. So, so Algebra is a digital ethical banking platform. Um, we are focused on empowering communities through amplifying their voices, financial well-being, and financial literacy. So maybe to give you a little bit of a, a bit of context into how the vision came about and where Algebra came from, when we were looking at the global data around underserved communities and underbanked communities, you know, we saw this figure of 1.7 billion unbanked. And then of that 1.7 billion, we went into a little bit more detail and we found actually there's 800 million of those that fall from Muslim communities and from Muslim demographics. And the DFIs, the World Banks, the, the, the IMFs weren't doing anything about it. And, and so we thought, okay, actually somebody needs to have something, somebody needs to have something to say, something to do. Um, and why not do it? Why not go ahead? So, and we also realized actually of those, of those 800 million, they fall in 10 of the 15 fastest growing economies in the world, uh, which is significant. There's a growing middle class. Um, there is a very commercially viable model there. But Rome doesn't get built in a day and a night, right? <laughs> no. so, so we looked, okay, where do we start this? How do we make this happen? And, and so London made the most sense. In London, you have a uniquely diverse community, a uniquely diverse population that is still richly connected to the home countries that they come from. So if you're, you know, Nigerian, Bangladeshi, um, Moroccan, uh, Egyptian, wherever you're from, you still connect with your home communities and you still send money back home. You still engage with your families back home and, and connect with them in a way which I don't think you find in places like the US and Canada where the culture is much more assimilation based. Um, we also found, you know, the UK has the leading regulatory infrastructure. Uh, UK regs are recognized globally. If you launch here, you can, you can launch anywhere. Um, and then we have the world's leading fintech industry. Um, you know, fintech, I think was, we can reasonably say fintech was born in London. It was born in the UK and there's a lot of talent here. So why not leverage it? Why not make use of it and build a British business Then we could take around the world? But you know that's that was the starting point, and and we were looking at the principles of Islamic finance. We were looking at the principles of you know what do these communities need, um, and how do you serve them, 
and realized actually the principles that you're talking about are principles of transparency, uh, fairness, uh, risk-reward sharing, predictability in fees, um, not in investing in anything unethical, anything that relates to fossil fuels, gambling, tobacco, alcohol, um, all things that, you know, no matter what your faith, no matter where you come from, you can get behind. Um, and so we realized actually what we're building is not a, an exclusive platform, an exclusive digital banking product. It's actually a inclusive product that is catered for everybody who is looking for something better, that they can connect their values with their finances, where if you want to say, I want to be part of helping create a better world, whether it's sustainability based through our carbon calculators, our carbon trackers, offsetting um, water trackers, which, are going to be, which we have integrated into our app, <clears throat> all of these things, um, you can connect with your financial life. And that's, you know, when you mentioned hyper-personalization, that's what we're starting to talk about. Um, and, and so that's where, you know, digital ethical banking comes into play. Um, that's how we define it. And, and we're looking at, and the way that we're doing it is we're about walking the walk as well as talking the talk. You know, you have a lot of talk around greenwashing and the likes, mm -hmm. you know, in, in today's day. But actually, um, but actually what, what you need to have is people doing it on the ground, going into the community, speaking to the people, engaging with them, running the projects where, you know, some people need to learn about financial education or need to learn about sustainability or learn about the things that they need. Um, and, and we are doing that. We help support a women's football tournament. Um, we've supported culture and yeah. I mean, Ramsey, I, I feel like I could just wind you up and let you go. This is fantastic. I, you, you're really setting the scene here for what is essentially a new model for banking. Yeah. One thing I'm fascinated about, and I want, I want to call you back on, is, is you're talking about the UK as a fintech hub. I find it interesting because we've obviously been home to some big fintech companies that don't necessarily float on the footsie, though. Um, do Do you think the future of the UK economy is 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 technology? Do you think it's heading that way? I do. I think the future of all economies is technology um, in reality. Um, and if the UK wants to maintain its position um, as a leader, a global leader, economically, politically, um, across the board, technology is the way to do it. And fintech is is one of the avenues which we're achieving it. That's why you've seen the likes of Sajid Javid and, and Rishi Sunak supporting the development of fintech propositions across the UK. It's why, for example, we've been backed by Lord Philip Hammond and the former chairman of MasterCard, Rick Thornthwaite. These are people who believe that the UK needs to maintain its position as a leader in technology and progress uh, moving forwards in, in, in the development of it. Yeah, I, I find all that stuff really encouraging, actually. It's, it's, it's something that I, when I look at the UK economy, it is one of the positive directions I see us moving in. Um, so we're here to discuss hyper-personalization. Uh, you've, you've talked about loads of ways in which algebra is, is being set up to help people. Uh, I'd, I'd like to mention some things, actually, from a, a Deloitte survey from November 2020, which was on the future of retail banking, because I realize you, you touch upon the banking space. Um, and, and they concluded the following, which is the... One, that banks are missing out on an opportunity to offer hyper-personalization. Uh, the data that banks have, they described it as a gold mine, but say legacy systems prevent us from using it properly, which, again, makes sense. Uh, secondly, banks are, are more focused on selling solutions to clients rather than actually addressing their needs. 
which is an interesting finding. And and, and here's the real kicker is that banks aren't actually that trusted. Uh, 39% of bank customers uh, are willing to share their location details. 24% are happy to share purchase behavior. Uh, in the same vein, it's 16% uh, are happy to share dates for you know life stage events and 13% for social interactions and only 8% of bank clients are willing to share their health data. So there's an issue if we're going to personalize all these services, banks aren't really developing the trust that's going to allow them to do that. Um, so what I want to say or ask you, Ramsey, is one, firstly, clarify, is algebra banking or not? And secondly, what do you think you can do to to help create this hyper personalization that the banks are kind of failing to do? Sure. So firstly, to answer the whether algebra is banking mm -hmm. or not. So, you know, there are different models in the fintech space. Um, you can go down the reg regulatory route of getting a banking license, or you can go down the reg route of getting an EMI license and operating, you know, the way Revolut did it and has done it and still does it. Um, we're doing it in that way. So we're not officially a bank uh, and, and we won't be at least for the near foreseeable future. And that's that's the way that we've intended it. And we think it's, it allows us to scale effectively and, and do our plans. But, you know, practically speaking, the proposition is more or less the same. Um, the, the only differentiation between a bank and a non-bank, um, uh, the main differentiation is deposit taking, which, you know, there are solutions around and, and you can manage what you need. Um, in terms of hyper-personalization, I think there's, it's interesting, there's, I think there's two ways which we can split it up and um, how we think about hyper-personalization. One is uh, the lifestyle and values-driven banking propositions that are emerging and thinking about it broadly. Um, around key communities, key people from key demographics, what their needs are, what they're looking for to connect their identities, their lifestyle, their values with their financial life. That's one angle of it. And, and so you're seeing, you're seeing platforms uh, focused on uh, black and Latino communities in the US like Greenwood and McAfee and First Boulevard. You're seeing um, platforms for the LGBT community like Daylight. Um, you're seeing um, propositions for women entrepreneurs like Lucy in Singapore or people who are disabled and people have, who have dementia like Sipstar and, um, and Calgara. Um, and ourselves who are focused on, you know, broadly values-driven uh, individuals and people who have faith-based requirements for banking as well. Um, but there is also another angle to it. You know, there's when we're talking about going deeper into providing extremely specific products and services for the individual based on data analysis, AI integration, um, and taking all that data and, and creating something that is uniquely tailored to the individual. And I think if you do one of them, or if you do the latter on its own, you'll get stuck in a position where, you know, it's the issues that social media is facing today with moral questions. Um, bringing those two pieces together is fundamental in actually being able to serve the individual, serve the customer, give them a personalized product, you know, a mortgage that is specifically tailored to their credit score, to their experiences, but also providing them with financial education that is catered to, you know, I'm from this background, I need to learn it in this way or in this language. Um, or if, I'm, uh, if I've got a certain set of circumstances that lead me to have a certain specific set of financial needs, that's hyper-personalization as well. That's where we're moving mm -hmm. um, and the banks are struggling to do it because on both ends of the spectrum, 
it's a huge amount of work, one, from a technology perspective, and two, from building the culture to be around the customer rather than around you know, selling a product or service, which, which we, we, we mainly see with the big banks today. Yeah, I, I love this notion that as a, as a customer now, you could turn up, enter a few key details and get a completely different service to someone else. Um, do you know what's funny? We, we talked about something very similar uh, last week in last week's podcast on microservices. And I, I'm aware that you make use of microservices algebra. Could you, you know, quickly go over how that works and how, how that gives you the flexibility to offer personalization? Could you explain a little bit just what you mean sure. by microservices? So the idea that we have a general backend system that you're you know, operating from and microservices are kind of digital um, you know, platform, you know, tools or products that you can plug into that to make sure that everyone has something unique yeah. in the end. So the way that we've built our technology um, is, you know, most most banking system today's or most fintechs actually today, um, you know, they go and they buy a bank in a box. They'll go to one of the the banking as a service providers, which is it's a it's a more than reasonable way of going about it. They go to a banking as a service provider and they say, "I would like um, to build my own fintech app or digital bank," um, and they will say, "Okay, here you go, plug and play." All they develop is the UI UX, and that's and then they have their bank and that gets launched to the market, or they have their fintech proposition and that gets launched to the market. Um, the way we're doing it is. Is slightly different. We saw that actually the technology part of it is extremely important. You need to, we need to be able to control our technology and develop it in a way that we can control every single piece of the puzzle. So um, we built a middleware system that would allow us to plug and play into any specific provider that we wanted. So for example, um, we've been able to integrate into both Marketa and Modular for our issuer processing and our agency banking, and then MasterCard as well um, as our card scheme. And, and that allows us, and that's the first time those players have ever worked together. You know, they're the leaders in the market. Modular is the leading fintech, um, uh, fast, one of the fastest growing fintechs in Europe at the moment. Um, Marketa is IPO'd. Um, we get to choose who we work with. It allows us to scale into any country and it allows us to scale any product we want very quickly. So, you know, if you, we want to say, okay, we want to plug in mortgages or loans or insurance or um, investing solutions or, you know, things that are catered to each individual, we can do that extremely quickly because we have access and control over the important elements within the technology architecture. That's, that's the way we've done it. And, and that's why we see our ability to hyper-personalize and personalize our products to our customers and according to their needs and give them the full suite of products that they want. Yeah, and I assume traditional banks aren't capable of doing this. Yeah, they've got, you know, 200 people doing the job of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's funny because I, again, go back to that uh, Deloitte report that I, I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And this report points out three problems that banks need to address. And these are the three main problems they've seen. One is to embrace the building blocks of hyper-personalization, which is literally what you've just been discussing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's fair enough. I can see why a bank with legacy tech architecture would struggle with that. I, I have some sympathy, but clearly a problem. And the other two solutions, which, which probably make you feel a bit more confident if you're not already. Um, <laughs> one of these problems is quite simply that they, you know, they need to meet customer needs and the other one is they need to build trust. So you're looking at banks that aren't meeting client, you know, customer or client needs and they don't have a great trust base. Surely as someone who's positioned himself as a disruptor, that must give you some amount of confidence. Yeah, 100%. And even 
you know, there was a live money survey done uh, a year or so ago, um, and they found that 65% of people um, were expecting over the next five years lifestyle and ba lifestyle banking solutions to be the to be the norm, mm -hmm. and for their lifestyle and their banking to be connected. So you know, it's not only um, the institutions that are seeing this evolution, but the consumers are seeing it as well, which is extremely important. Um, and and from our perspective, you know, I don't think I don't think the big banks are going anywhere anytime soon. You know, they are huge institutions with huge amounts of capital. Um, and they've they've got a lot you know they've got a lot to do and they've got a, a role to play. What I think the future is going to look like though is we're soon going to see the development of more and more fintech propositions that are that take over the consumer and retail market, and and the big banks will slowly become suppliers and investors in those solutions, um, offering you know if I want to lend mortgages or develop a, a lending balance sheet. I can lend off balance sheet. I can get a bank to to offer me a hundred million dollars or two hundred million dollars to to back that to back those mortgages that I can offer to my to my customers. Um, that is a way it might go down, um, and I think and I think that is really the future because you know it, it doesn't make sense for them to have two hundred people to run KYC when when a fintech startup can run you know on Fido on their system and very quickly integrate. Um, with one individual or two individuals as, start, as a starting point. Yeah, I, I almost wonder for banks if it's that classic, um, you know, blockbuster and Netflix scenario where they need to buy one of these companies or one of these, you know, these this technology that's doing it all rather than, you know, stick with their original old faithful product. Uh, and it's funny, actually, you, you're mentioning changes in people's behaviors and what people expect in the future. We also have the, uh, you know, the coming of age of digital natives, you know, and that, that, that is the idea of, People that have been brought up with what we'd consider modern technology—they know nothing other than using screens and, and, and you know apps on their phones, all that kind of stuff. That generation, by the way, is expected to become financially active by 2025. So for banks, probably bad news based on what we've been talking here. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. So from from a bank's perspective, you know, I think. At least from for us, we take a partnership-based approach. You know, you always have to have, uh, you always have to have relationships, build relationships, and we want to partner with. Uh, we're willing to partner with anyone who's who's willing to partner with us. Um, so I think that's that's one angle to look at it. Um, and then if we look at the you know the new generations and uh, those who are digital native, um, people going to banks and and to going in, in in person to meet their banker and their teller. Uh, I think it's outdated. Uh, you know, all you need is an app and a good customer service. Um, and you know, you might have ATMs and certain stalls and certain pieces of that puzzle, um, but the movement is is completely digital, and that's what we're seeing across the board across industries. Everything is moving digitally, um, and I do think we are on a road towards the blockchain evolution and decentralized finance, and that that will happen. Um, I think that is the future of technology. It's the future of finance, um, but it's there's still a while away before we get there. Mm -hmm. um, today, I think the next evolution is hyper personalization. It is lifestyle values banking solutions. That's where we're going. Yeah, that's that's very close to to my views on this as well. It's interesting you mentioned DeFi uh, because similar to you, you you know, carrying out some banking functions about having a banking license. One thing that does concern me about people investing in DeFi and, and likewise, potentially someone investing or, or putting money or, or whatever with, with a bank that isn't technically a bank, is, is that lack of 
ability to claim money back if things go wrong. You know, I, I think if you lose your money through a conventional bank, what is it, 85,000, I think you're able to get back uh, from the compensation scheme. What kind of assistance can any of your customers get if things don't work for you and will work for them, sorry, with you? And do you, in the long run, um, have any intention of, of getting a banking license? So we're at the moment working on a solution to be able to get ring fencing for mm. for our customers because we appreciate it's it's um, it's important, and we do know a number of solutions out there on the market that are able to do it. So it's just about figuring it out how do you make it happen. Um, we do have plans to, to to get the banking license at some point, um, but you know, like I said, the the way that we've looked at the market, we looked at the Monzo Revolut comparison. You know, Monzo went down the banking license route. Um, they struggled in America. They struggled with, they're struggling at the moment. They had a down round. Um, and, 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 and what you notice or what happens is you end up getting stuck with a lot of regulatory burden. Um, and, and the industry needs to move fast. Revolut was able to launch in 20 plus countries, get build 18 million customers, and now they're working on their banking license. Um, and for us, that makes sense as a model. Um, there is a value in being a second mover, uh, being a second mover, um, and we're trying to take advantage of, of being in that position. Um, but it, it'd be good to get your perspective as well. Like, how are you seeing the industry moving? How are you seeing all of these things come together? Well, it's interesting. I see a real opportunity for scalable solutions <clears throat> that can make money. I think my concern, you mentioned Revolut and Monzo, uh, and, and also if we're looking at you know digital investing, you can look at Nutmeg as well. Yeah. A lot of the companies that do this, and again, we've seen a lot of robo-advice companies go out of business too in the last couple of years. Yeah. A lot of them are, are regular loss-making companies. And they seem to be based upon this notion of future value. You know, the investment money keeps coming in, then at some point we'll fix the business model or it will start making money. But I don't think they all work quite like Amazon perhaps did in the past where they could have turned on the profit stream if they wanted to, yeah. but they didn't. That, so I see it as a massive opportunity, but I also think it's really important to be, you know, be sensible about it because the things you were talking about at the start of the podcast are things I think are great. Things like opening up finance to more people, investments for more people, more equitable solutions, putting right the wrongs of the financial services system. But I do think caution's obviously necessary. So I think my, my question back to you is, is, do you expect that you'll make profit in the first couple of years or are you very much dependent on, on you know, constant investment from other people? I'm not saying that's going to end badly. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but, but what's the model? We are looking to make profit as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we believe you know it has to be a commercially viable solution. Um, if you want to be able to to serve to people and represent that you have an effective solution, you need to you need to prove yourself from a commercial perspective as well. Um, we see uh, actually the biggest the biggest revenue makers are mortgages, loans, insurance. It's the meatier, heavier financial product and services that actually a lot of the the the, the first wave of fintech providers weren't providing um, and don't provide. Uh, for us, at least, you know, in the context of uh, the Muslim market, there is no meaningful Sharia compliant solution on the market out there for mortgages, loans. And so people don't end up going and buying um, houses because they don't want to um, infringe on their faith and their values. So there is there's a model there. If, if we're able to deliver mortgages and loans to our consumers, to our market, you know, there's there's a lot of profit to be made. There's a lot of revenue to be made, and 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 we do hope to do that. Yeah. But it is also about giving back. You know, for us, it's 
one, we've, we're committed to, to giving 10% of our profits to, to charities. And everything we do is, it's, and I like that you have the fact that you brought it back to what we're talking about at the start, because it's, that's extremely important to who we are. You know, it is about, we are looking to go global. We are looking to serve underserved communities. We are looking to do that in every context. Um, and, and in the UK, there are a large number of people from a wide variety of demographics that need better financial services. They need organizations and institutions that understand their needs. You know, if I come from a certain background, it doesn't necessarily mean um, I'm not credit worthy or I'm not, not worthy of receiving a loan or, or getting a bank account. Um, and, and we wanna make sure that there's an environment and, and there's a financial tool and platform that enables them to, to use their financial services, to, to learn more about financial education. It offers it in different languages um, and gives them an environment and an ecosystem that they can, they can work with and move forward and, and actually set the foundations for a movement. Um, which which is what we're we're now actually starting to define ourselves as. Um, it's it's not just banking. It's it's a movement to connect people and connect their values and their finances and empower them across every single way that we can. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that's not really happening. And, and we know obviously in the UK we have the advice gap. We have you know <laughs> millions and millions of people who aren't aren't banked. Yeah. And then that's a global issue. As you said before, was it one point seven billion Different. people? I mean that that is a huge opportunity. It's just how how we do that in a profitable way. So you're at the stage now where algebra launches soon, right? Yeah. So sorry, just just to add before I get because I, yes. I do I did want to add one thing. Um, the so so in the UK as well, actually, there are 19 million people we discovered um, who come from overlooked communities. Um, and so when you look at the, when we did our research around lifestyle and values banking, we looked at the data, we looked at the different demographics of people who, because of their values, because of their lifestyles, aren't effectively being served by the existing market. And that came up to 19 million people, which is a significant amount in the UK as well. So that there's, there's a lot to be done here. Um, and from our perspective, it's about, um, it's about representing those people in a positive light and putting them, putting them in, in an empowering position and showing them that, you know, we are all human. We are all excellent in what we do, and no matter who you are, where you're from, you have a you have an environment that can that is welcoming for you. But I would now okay now I'll go into uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> I'll go into the where we're going. Um, so algebra is launching soon. We we have a big event actually coming up on the second of Feb. I'm not sure when this is going to be uh, published. So <laughs> possibly before then. Um, uh, and that event, we will be showcasing our live demo for the first time. Um, and we will then be going live publicly um, in the next couple of months. Uh, the date will be confirmed soon, but we are now in live environments. We are testing it. I have the app on my phone now. Um, and we're looking forward to launching. It's actually a really, it's a really nice app for for where for where, where we are. I mean, you would say that. But. <laughs> <laughs> but how, I would. <laughs> how, how many people at this point have you got using the the kind of is it like a beta test or a, a, you know how many people are using that? So it's just the internal team at the okay. moment. So we've got about 20, 30 people testing it um, within our team. And we'll slowly start phasing it in. So uh, maybe I'll get you some access, uh, early yeah, access. Yeah, please do. Please do. Look, you, you're tackling some things I think are really important. I think a lot of our listeners think are important. I think you're also raising some really good points about how there are certain sections of community that haven't been 
equally served by financial services. And, you know, as much as I think there's lots of good intent and goodwill within financial advice and wealth management, that, in that includes us. We are part of that system. Um, but Ramsey, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming to the Wealth Tech Show. No, thank you. It's, it's really been a pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed it. No, thanks. Me too. Mm -hmm. Me too. And I hope everyone listening has enjoyed it too. I trust that you have. And if you haven't, I'm, I'm really sorry. But anyway, <laughs> thank you all for joining us. This has been the Wealth Tech Show, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.